Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Luke chapter 2. We've been going through um, a series entitled Hope in the Darkness or Hope in Darkness, Uh, just recognizing the fact that life has its ups and it also has its downs. And there's times in life when we go through uh, maybe a dark season, you go through some difficulty, you go through some challenge, you go through some, uh, some loss or some discouragement. And what we've been looking at is the people of Israel and how they were when the Bible tells us in Luke, the book of Luke, the people of Israel at a time of hopelessness, a time when it seemed that uh, their political enemies were succeeding, their religious enemies were succeeding. And we see all of this uh, discouragement and defeat in the people of Israel's life. And yet it was at this time that we read some incredible stories, of course, about Jesus Christ being born into this world to bring hope to the world. We've met a few characters already. We've met Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we found that during their season of darkness that God said to them, hey, I'm listening to you, and I will answer you, and I am present with you. And aren't you thankful that God doesn't quit on us during our seasons of darkness? Man, God does not give up on us. God is still answering. God is still caring for. God is still meeting needs, even when it seems that he's distant. God is still there. Then we met the the character of Mary, and we looked into Mary's life as God said to her, hey, I see the possibilities. I see things that you don't see. And of course, Mary giving birth to a, a child, having never known a man, and God said, hey, you think some things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I'm so glad that in my dark seasons, when I think, in my discouragement, when I think I have an answer, that God says, Dennis, you're not everything you think you are. I've got better answers than you do. Dennis, I know what's going on. I have, I have this under control. And today, we're going to come, we're going to continue our study in a very familiar portion of Scripture in Luke and chapter number two. But before I get there, I just want to ask you, have you ever been around somebody that, uh, Brian, I need you to come here. Yeah, you need to come do something with this because it's not doing something. <laughs> Anybody ever needed Brian? Anybody ever need Brian? Just fix that real quick. Um, it probably just reset, didn't it? You don't know. All right. I'll ask you this question. You ever seen someone who um, is carrying, they're carrying a lot, probably much more than they could handle, and you watch them as they struggle, and then eventually... They drop everything they have. You ever seen somebody do that, carrying too much and drop it all? Years ago, we grew up in Greeley, Colorado. My dad pastored a church there. And um, we, uh, the church, it kind of was struggling for years. And dad came in, 1982, dad took that church. And there was about about 20, 25 people there at the church. And we stayed there until 1996 or 97. And uh, man, there was about 300, 350 at the church. So it was just a great time of growth. But those first few years when I was born, until I was about five, six, seven years old, um, the, uh, the, the church consisted mostly of our family. And so whenever there was a church event that you needed people to serve in, it was me and my sisters, my mom. And uh, whenever dad would do something, you know, big for the church, it was our family. Well, that included mailings. 
I know some of you don't know what this is, but a mailing is where you take an envelope and you put letters in it and you lick it, and then you put a stamp on that. Uh, it's, it's something that took time. And I remember we would gather around the piano, and Dad would always do this assembly line for our mailings. Of course, he would have the letters printed, and so he would be on one end, and he'd be folding the letters. He'd hand them to Mom. Mom would stuff the letter in the envelope, and then they'd hand the envelope to yours truly because no one in the family wanted to lick the envelope. So I was the one that always got stuck licking the envelope and sealing it. Then I'd pass it to my sister and she'd put a stamp on it, pass it to the other sister and she'd start putting it all together. And we'd send letters out uh, hundreds or, I mean, sometimes over a thousand letters that we had send out to the neighborhood or the zip code or whatever. And I remember one time in particular, and this happened a few times, but one time in particular, my sister just reminded me this last week of it. My dad, and instead of getting like a big box where you could put all the letters in, my dad used to use, he was very resourceful. He used to use the little manila envelope boxes. So of those of you that know manila envelopes that come in those little boxes, just a little box, it's about eight and a half by 11. My dad would stick the letters in there. And so he'd carry, now they aren't, they aren't sturdy, just so you know. And he would stack those boxes and then he'd carry them. There was one time we did this mailing we were by the, by, in the church, I believe, or maybe at the house, and dad was doing this, and he was walking to some stairs, and he, he was carrying all the boxes. And mom was like, Denny, let us help you. He's like, no, 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 I got it, I got it. Honey, you're gonna drop them. No, 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 I'm good, I'm good. And he had all these boxes, plus in his hand, he had his briefcase. He's getting ready to leave. Briefcase, five or six boxes, and he's walking, and his foot missed the step. Boom. And six foot five dad went tumbling down and all those letters and his briefcase, his briefcase opened, everything came out. Letters went everywhere. And being the loving family we are, we laughed <laughs> hysterically. I mean, we were rolling and my mom's apologizing and dad's sitting there kind of frustrated, irritated. And my mom, she's like, I told you, I told you so you were carrying too much. And man, you've ever seen somebody carrying way too much and they drop it? You ever seen a waiter or a waitress do that? They're carrying way too much and they drop it? My one sister, Dina, her nickname, all grow, I've said this before at church, her nickname all growing up uh, and still to this day, we call her sometimes Connie Klutz. Because Dina, every time we ever went out to eat, she was knocking the food over or the drinks over or whatever. It hit a point that my dad said to her, Dina, never go into food service. Like, honey, you will be a horrible waitress. Don't ever go into food service. You know what my sister does now? She, no, she's in food service for a nursing home. Like making food and taking food to the people. I, I just think that's really funny. I'm like, how many people have you spilled on? But you know what? When you watch somebody, a waiter or a waitress, or you watch a UPS driver, you watch somebody and they're carrying too much, you want to just, you want to walk over, you want to help them. Hey, let me get that tray of drinks from you. Let me get that food. I don't want you feel, spilling my food all over me. So I'll go ahead and grab that from you. And the idea is a lot of times, a lot of times, man, people carry way too much. It's unlike Mary Poppins. How many of you know Mary Poppins? You remember the old Mary Poppins? Mary Poppins bag? Remember Mary Poppins bag? She'd come into a room, she'd set the bag down, and she'd just start pulling everything out. Remember she pulls the lamppost out? Out of that bag? Hey, Mary Poppins bag, it can hold it all. She's never carrying too much. In our series, Hope in Darkness, 
What we've been looking at is the fact, again, that God brings hope into our darkness. And what we're going to see today is this simple truth, that Jesus, he provides hope in darkness, and Jesus is never carrying too much. The fact of the matter is, with Jesus, there's no such thing as too much. He has hope for you in darkness, and he has hope by way of a number of things that Jesus provides into our life. I want you to picture it this way. If Jesus is carrying a tray, his tray is never too full. He can carry it all. And what he brings to the table on his tray of hope, when he comes into a situation, not only does he bring hope to it, but there's a way that he brings hope to it by providing some things for us each and every day. For those that know Christ, these things that we're going to talk about today in your dark seasons, they already belong to you. I want you to see it with me this morning, a very familiar portion of scripture, Luke chapter number two. Let's stand and let's begin reading in Luke chapter two, beginning verse number one, down through verse number seven, we read these words. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. The reason he went up is to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, while they're in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. We find ourselves this morning at probably one of the most familiar portions of scripture that you know, the birth of Christ. We visit this passage at least once a year during the Christmas season. But today, I don't want to look specifically at these seven verses. I want to look at what took place the weeks following these verses. Because during the birth of Christ, during Jesus's entrance into this world, when Jesus, who is the one who holds hope, when he came into this world at their season of darkness, at the Hebrews and Jews' season of darkness, Jesus didn't just bring hope like, hey, I'm here. Here's a hopeful thought. Here's a good thing. There's a number of things that are wrapped up in Jesus that bring us hope, even in the midst of darkness. There's a number of things that are on Jesus' tray of hope that we find in the passage before us today. And that's what we're going to talk about. So let's pray and then ask God to help us today. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a minute? And just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray and would you ask the Lord to speak to your heart today? Dear Lord, we want to come before you and we want to thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you desire to use it in our lives. And Lord, I pray this morning as we get into the passage before us that you would help us today. I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, I just humble myself before you and I recognize, Lord, my need of you. I, I do not 
uh, want these to be my words. I want it to be you. And so, God, I pray that you would give your thought and your mind in this passage, in this message. And, Lord, help us to see uh, the hope that you do bring into this world and all that accompanies you. And, Father, I pray that you'd bless our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. We travel today from the city of Nazareth to the hills of Bethlehem, the shepherd's fields as they're referred to now. And it's in these hills of Bethlehem, this city of Bethlehem, house of bread, this place that Jesus would be born. And what an amazing uh, type or amazing picture. There's so much that we could look at with Bethlehem. I mean, here's the story that the, the Roman government sends out that there's going to be a taxing and a census. This would happen every 14 years that you would have to travel back to the uh, Uh, the place of your heritage. And of course, Joseph, being of the lineage of David, he would be traveling back to Bethlehem, to these hills that you see. And of course, uh, the city of Bethlehem would be a little bit behind where this picture would be taken, or the village really of Bethlehem. And Joseph goes here because that's where his family's from. The census is going to take place. The taxing is going to take place. And we find that while he's there, they they find residence in a stable. It's not a stable like you and I would picture on a little nativity scene of a barn. No, the stable would actually be a hewn-out cave on the side of a a cliff, on the side of a mountain, if you will, so the animals could go in. And it's, it's this location that the king of kings is born. Not in a not in a palace, not even in a hospital delivery room. No, the king of kings humbles himself and he's born in a stable a feeding pen, and laid in a feeding trough for animals. The hope of the world laying where animals eat. It's on that backdrop that our story story takes place today. So I want you to look one verse further from where we stopped. And let's pick up the story in verse number eight. And let's read down through verse number 10, or number 20. Verse 8 down through verse number 20. There were in the same country, there were shepherds abiding in the field. They were at home in the fields. They were keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, extremely afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven But the shepherds, they said one to another, let us go. Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste very quickly. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it, They wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen 
as it was told unto them. So not only do we find Jesus being born in a, in a stable and lying in a manger, but we also find the declaration of his birth being first given to the lowliest of people in Israel, the shepherds. Shepherds who are keeping their flocks, it's nighttime. Why shepherds? I mean, why, the, why not royalty? Why not a king? Why not a prince? I think the reason, one of the reasons that the announcement is made first to the shepherds is to remind us of this simple truth, and I pray that you don't miss it today that Jesus Christ is not for a select few. Jesus is for everybody. He's for all people. We're going to see that phrase, all people, listed a few times in our passage, but I think even as we look at the declaration of Jesus Christ made to the shepherds, we need to remember, why was it given to the shepherds? Well, the lowliest of people, here's what Jesus, here's what God through the angels was saying to the shepherds about Jesus Christ. Hey, even though you're disrespected by many in this culture, Jesus is still for you. Can I just say as a side thought this morning that you may look at your life and say, I'm nothing special. I have nothing to bring. I have nothing to offer. I have nothing to present to God. Can I tell you, you are exactly who Jesus came to. And here's the thought I wanna give us today that when Jesus is born into this world, He is hope. He brings hope into every darkness. And by bringing hope, Jesus provides hope in a few ways in our lives. Jesus not only provides hope for this world, but he wants to provide hope for you. And if you've received Jesus Christ as your savior, Jesus in your life, the things that we're gonna talk about, these things, they belong to you because of Christ. They are, they are some characteristics, some uh, gifts, if you will, that Jesus brings into your life to show you there is hope. I want you to notice, first of all, today that when Jesus comes in, number one, he provides joy. Jesus gives hope by providing joy. Notice, if you will, verse number 10 The angel says it this way, fear not, for behold, stop, I want want you to pay attention. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. The phrase good tidings of great joy, it means this, I bring you good news of exceedingly great delight for all people. You know what the angel said? The angel said, I'm bringing you some good news that's gonna provide rejoicing for all of humanity. We have these shepherds, these, this lowliest group in the, uh, the society, if you will. They're under Roman rule. They too are pushed out by religious leaders. They're in a dark time, a dark season, no doubt thinking, I wonder when things will get better for us. I wonder when things will seem to brighten up in our life. And yet the angel appears to them first and says, I'm coming with some incredible news that will bring you some incalculable joy, reasons to rejoice, some great delight. You know, the fact is this, that when Jesus came into this world, he brings with him an unspeakable joy. Jesus brings with him unspeakable joy. Do you know what the phrase unspeakable joy means? It means rejoicing that can't be explained. (laughs) Rejoicing that can't be explained. 
you know, with Jesus comes delight. And the fact is that if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, when he was born into your life, not only was Jesus the one who is hope born into your life, but part of the hope that comes is Jesus providing joy into your life, reasons to rejoice. Here's the incredible truth for people who know Christ. No matter what happens around you, you have a Savior who lives within you. And that brings joy. That brings rejoicing. It doesn't mean that there's going to be this perpetual smile on your face. I remember some people, I've heard some uh, pastors even say, man, turn that frown upside down. Don't you know you're saved? And, they, and even in the midst of a trial, you know, they're like, you should be smiling right now. And I don't know about you, but there's some days in my dark seasons, I don't want to smile. Some discouragement, some situations in life. Hey, listen, we've all been there. And if, you, if you've been there, then you know. If you haven't been there, then you will at some point go through a discouraging dark season. During those times, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like, hey, how are we doing? But you know, the truth is that even though there may not sometimes be a smile on the outside, there can still be rejoicing on the inside. Well, why can I rejoice? Because Jesus Christ has entered into my life. Jesus Christ provides hope. And in that hope, Jesus provides joy. I think about the psalmist saying it this way. He says, thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Notice that phrase, in thy presence, there is fullness of joy. There is a fullness of rejoicing. Why? Because my rejoicing is not based upon my circumstances. My rejoicing is based upon my relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you know, those of you that have kids or, or those of you here that were ever children, all right, I'm speaking to you. If you were ever a child, do you remember, do you remember the times in your life when Maybe it was a rough situation. Maybe, maybe you're driving through a storm. Remember times when you're driving through a storm? I remember as a, teen, as a young teenager driving through some of the craziest thunderstorms in Colorado and Kansas. And my dad would be driving and man, there would be some storms. I remember a couple storms where we had to pull over under an overpass because the hail was so bad. I remember some storms, people showed up to church one time and we had hail that was coming down that was the size of softballs. And uh, people were showing up with the windshields busted because it started right when they were on their way. Man, when you're ever driving in a storm, it's scary. But for me, I don't know if it was this way for you. For me, even in that fearful moment of that storm and the hail coming down, if my dad was driving, it didn't matter what was going on around, there was still some joy in the car. <laughs> Those of you that knew my dad, he made, he made fun of everything. And we had fun with everything. But I remember times we'd be going through some of the craziest storms in the car and my dad would be coming up with the silliest games for us. You know, as a kid, do you know what that did? That brought comfort into my life. Why? Because dad's in control. We can, still have, we can still have rejoicing in this moment. Hey, when you have Christ in your life, no matter what situation comes your way, you can still have joy. You can still have rejoicing. Rejoicing that he is driving. Rejoicing that he knows what's going on. 
Think about what Nehemiah said. They were at a time of darkness, and Nehemiah said this, hey, the joy of the Lord, it is your strength. Hey, the joy of the Lord can strengthen you and can encourage you. The fact is that Jesus provides hope in your darkness, but he provides it often through joy. He wants to provide joy in your seasons of darkness. So don't let circumstances rob you of joy. Don't let people and and criticism rob you of joy. Don't let fear rob you of joy. Remember that if you have Christ in your life, Jesus brings joy into your life, even in the dark seasons or the seasons of darkness. I see first off today, when the angels announce the birth of Jesus, they announce the joy that he brings, but they also announce the peace that he brings. Man, Jesus provides peace. What's the good news that the angel declares? Well, the good news is not that God had sent a soldier or that God had sent a judge or some sort of reformer. No, the announcement is God has sent a savior to meet man's greatest need. And we find the angel being joined by a a whole multitude of angels and they begin praising God. And notice verse number 14 of what they say. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. The word peace in this verse, it, it means rest or quietness within the soul. It's a message of peace to a world that had known much conflict. But the word peace, when we define it with English terms, we can't really get the depth of it. The Hebrew word for peace, if you travel to Israel with us, actually a a friend of ours who is one of the tour guides over there, his name is, is Joe. And Joe has become a great friend. And Joe is a, a Jewish tour guide. And we were talking one time, and one of the first years, I said to Joe, I said, Shalom. And he said, Oh, you know, you know our word for peace. And I said, Yeah, that's, that's just Shalom is just a greeting of peace, right? Peace to you. And, and he said, Well, yes and no. I said, What do you mean, Joe? He said, well, Dennis, um, now Joe, Joe was born an American. He was born in, uh, in Ohio, I think, or Iowa, and then moved over to Israel in the 80s. Joe said this. He said, well, Dennis, it's hard for me to define the word shalom in English. It's hard for any Hebrew to do that. I said, what do you mean? He said, because shalom, yes, it means peace. He said, but it means so much more. There's so much more depth to it. I said, well, what what does it mean? He says, well, it's like it means health and prosperity and security and soundness and completeness and contentment and quietness of soul and rest within. It, it It means peace. I'm like, well, Joe, that is a lot more than just the word peace. He's like, I know, because the word shalom and many of the Hebrew words, they carry with them so much depth. When you find this word peace, even in our passage in the Greek, the word peace here carries so much more with it than just absence of conflict. When we think of peace, we think of absence of conflict. No, the word peace here has to do with complete Contentment, quietness, rest, security, and soundness within the soul. 
You know what the angel said? I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then they rejoice and they sing glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, contentment, soundness of soul, rest, completeness for all men. You know what Jesus brings into your life when he is born into your life, when you've received Jesus Christ, you know what Jesus brings? He brings that peace. The Bible says and refers to it as a peace that cannot be known by this world. I love how one man said it this way. He said this, while the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. More, more than even for outward peace. The fact is that when Jesus was born into this world, he was, the, he was and is the prince of peace, the prince of soundness, quietness, contentment. Jesus came to offer a peace that cannot be explained. He came to bring a peace that comes with his presence. He said it this way in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When Jesus comes into a life, when Jesus came into this world, he brings peace. But when he comes into your life, he brings peace. What does he bring peace? He brings the peace of God. What is the peace of God? Well, the peace of God is described in Philippians chapter four, verse number seven, the peace of God that passes all understanding. It shall keep or guard your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. That is a, a peace that is uh, continually in control in spite of circumstances. It is an inward contentment and calm and completeness. It is a practical, real, working quietness in my heart. And the truth is today that when Jesus comes into a life, he brings peace into every moment of that life. And in your seasons of darkness, if you know Christ as your savior, he desires that his peace, contentment, soundness would be in control of your life. That means my life doesn't have to be overcome with worry and anxiety and fear. Now, do we all experience worry and anxiety and fear? Yes, those are human emotions that God has placed in us. And that's for a whole nother message. But the truth is that those things should not consume us. And that is why Jesus said, my peace I give unto you, not as the world gives, give I unto you, but let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. This is the words of Christ. Hey, listen, in this world, you are going to have anxiety and worry and fear and frustration and discouragement. But even in the midst of all of that, if you have Jesus in your life, he is the prince of calm. He is the prince of quietness. He is the prince of peace. He brings the peace of God. But that's only made possible because of peace with God. You see, when Jesus came into this world, he came to make peace for you and I with God. Romans 5.1, it says, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through or because of Jesus Christ. And the truth is today that when you receive Jesus into your life, at that moment, you are given peace with God. You are no longer under the judgment or condemnation of God on your way to hell. No, you now have a restored relationship because of Jesus Christ. Paul said, 
He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He broke down the wall of partition between us and God. And the fact is today that you, if, you have, if you have the peace with God, then you have peace of God in your life. And no matter what is going on in your world through the, your health or uh, the economy or circumstantial or political or, or the, the global uh, world or whatever's taking place in you relationally, the fact is that God desires for you and I to have a real peace of mind knowing this. If I have Jesus, I can trust him and he has my heart in any circumstance. I said at the beginning of the series that I believe, I believe with all my heart that God had me plan this series for this time for me. You may not need this at all, then just bear with me. We're only in it for a couple more weeks. And this series is for me with our family and the situation that we've been going through. But I had a conversation with my sister this last week, the one Dawn, whose husband just passed away there a month ago, tragically and quickly. And we were talking about the tragedy and the loss. And my sister said this about her loss. And it blew me away. She had no idea I was studying this. She had no idea I was preaching this. Here's what she said. She said, Dennis, it's so weird to me that while my heart has the deepest pain and heartbreak I have ever felt, it's weird to me that at the same time, there is an overwhelming peace. Dennis, it is a peace in me that knows that everything is right and everything is okay. And of course, she's fighting back tears and speaking this. And again, she didn't know where my mind was and on this message and all of that. And I'm listening to her say it and I just thought, Man, God, that truly is a peace only you can give. And I, I love what she said in the phrase when she said this, it is a peace that knows that everything is right. She went on to describe to say, Dennis, as much as I hate it, I know that this is God's plan. And I have peace. And I'm sitting there and my chin's on the ground. Man, because I don't know about you, but sometimes in my seasons of darkness, I need to be reminded I can still have the peace of God in my life. Rest to know that he is still in control. Contentment to know that I can trust him with what's going on. And Jesus, he provides peace. Notice also the angel says, Jesus provides goodwill. He provides goodwill. Notice verse number 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. The phrase goodwill, it means good kindness, good desire, or good purposes or plans toward mankind. You know, when Jesus came, he brought with him his kindness and his perfect purpose or plan for mankind. 
Did you know the Bible actually says it this way, that before the foundations of the world, it was planned that Jesus Christ would die for the sins of the world. The truth is today that the shepherds, they were the first to hear, hey, there's some great news here. What's the great news? God has purpose with mankind. What's the great news? There is joy for all mankind. What's the good news? There is peace for all mankind. But what's the good news? Hey, the good news is God has a plan and a purpose for you. Hey, Jesus comes and he brings with him a plan. And shepherds, you can know that while you sit here in darkness, God is working a plan. You know, God has a plan with every single person. And while that individual plan looks differently, I want us to see today some things that are made clear about God's plan for us. Jesus said it this way in speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter number three. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For because God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, Jesus, might be saved. He, the person that believeth on Jesus, is not condemned, but the person that believes not is condemned already because that person has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You know what part of God's plan is? for every single person to come to know Jesus as Savior. His plan was not to come to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. And we'll see that again in depth in just a minute. But I want you to know secondly today about God's plan, that once a person trusts Christ as Savior, part of God's plan in your life is to help you and I become more and more like Jesus. After a person receives the Lord, God's plan for them continues. That you're, you trusting Jesus, for those of you that are here and you've had a time in your life when you put your faith completely in him, not in a church or a pastor or a baptism or good works, but you put your faith in Jesus and him alone. And the plan was not just for your salvation. God planned for you to become more and more like Jesus. It said this way in Romans 8, 28 and 29, verse 29 specifically, for whom he did foreknow, those that he saw would be saved. He did predestinate them to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hey, God knows who's going to be saved. And because of that foreknowledge, because of that, it doesn't mean God picks and chooses who will be saved. No, he's God. He's sovereign. He knows it all. He knows who will be saved. And so because of that knowledge, he begins building in your life and my life ways that we would become like him. That's why we're challenged all throughout scripture from passages like this in Philippians chapter two, when Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and then proceeds to talk about the mind of humility. Hey, in your life, grow in humility. Why? Because Jesus was humble. And that's, that's the purpose of Christ, that we would become like him. Paul wrote it this way to the believers at Corinth. He said, but we all with Open face, beholding it as in a glass, the glory of the Lord. We're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. What does this verse mean? Well, it's like a, a person looking in a mirror, and you're beholding what you are. The Bible teaches that when we look into Scripture, we're beholding who Jesus is, and that's what we are to be like, that we are changed into his image from glory to glory, from situation to situation. We are changed to be more like Jesus Christ. We saw this briefly a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating, and that is this. Through any season of darkness, we must know and be reminded that God is not taken by surprise. He is working. 
What does that mean? Peace and goodwill toward men. God has a plan. God is working a plan. God has, God has a purpose. God has a reason that he's allowed the dark situation, that discouragement, that frustration, that uh, prayer request that hasn't been answered. There's a reason that God has allowed that. And you can step back to say, man, Jesus brings me hope. Why? Because I know he has a plan and he has a purpose. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Hey, his good purpose, his good will is at work in your life and my life. And that is something in my dark seasons that can bring me hope. We find this morning that Jesus on his tray of hope, he brings hope by providing joy. He brings hope by providing peace. He brings hope by providing purpose or goodwill. But also, and lastly today, Jesus provides hope by providing redemption. He provides redemption. Look with me, if you will, Luke chapter 2, verse 21 and 22. We'll read a few verses after this. Here's what it says. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of our purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So now here we are uh, some time after the birth of Jesus. They're bringing him to the temple to present him before the Lord. And here's what takes place. Verse 25. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Jesus' parents, brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms, Simeon holding Jesus, and blesses God. And listen to what Simeon says. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. A few moments later, verse 36. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was of great age. She had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity, and she was a widow of about fourscore and four years. She departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in that instant, almost simultaneously with with Simeon. She gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him, of Jesus, to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. In these verses, we're introduced to a couple more characters. We're not going to discuss Simeon and Anna this morning, but I simply want to discuss and talk about what they said. Simeon holds up baby Jesus and he says, I have seen thy salvation, I have seen the Savior. Anna leaves and she begins to speak abroad about Jesus. And what does she say about him? The Bible tells us there, she spoke of him to all them that looked for redemption. Both Simeon and Anna, they knew this, Jesus came to redeem. Hey, Jesus came to redeem. What did he come to redeem? He came to redeem us, the lost. 
We're going to discuss this very much in depth next week, but the truth is that Jesus came, and that is truly what brings us hope, that he came to redeem. He came to buy us back. To buy us back from what? From our sin. You see, our sin separates us from God and every single one of us. We need forgiveness with God. We need restoration with God. And Jesus, through his blood that we just sang about a few minutes minutes ago, but Jesus, through his sacrifice and his blood, he was crucified, buried, and three days later, he rose again to prove that he is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. His purpose is to redeem. Now, how does that bring us hope? Well, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, it brings you hope in a couple of ways. Number one, if you know Christ as your Savior, during your dark seasons, you can remember there is hope in Jesus because he's the Redeemer in this truth. Paul said, nothing can separate you from God. No matter how crazy things get, Jesus is my Redeemer. I will never be separated from him. No matter how crazy this world can get, no matter how dark situations can come, no matter how discouraged I may be, the truth is that Jesus Christ is the redeemer. He bought me back and I've trusted him as my savior and there is hope. So if you've received Christ as your savior, hey, find hope in the fact that you're redeemed. But then also this morning, just a quick side note. Jesus is not only the redeemer of souls, but you know what Jesus also can redeem? He can, he can redeem or use situations. No matter what is going on in your life, God can still use it for his good, for your good, for his glory. He's the redeemer of any situation. He's the redeemer of me as an individual. He's the redeemer of my soul, but he's a, he can redeem any situation that I go through. And can I tell you this morning, that as you and I face our dark seasons in life, Jesus doesn't just come and say, all right, here's hope. Here's, here's, this, here's this, uh, um, this theology, this thinking that's out there that's uh, abstract, that's just kind of a way of, well, there's kind of a hope that I know that Jesus brings. No, Jesus says, I am hope. And in me, I provide hope by giving you joy rejoicing in trial. I give you hope by bringing you peace, contentment, uh, complete quietness of soul, even in the midst of sorrow and in the midst of struggle. I am hope and I bring you hope by bringing a plan into your life. I am hope because I am the redeemer. And so this morning, I just want to say this, that in your dark seasons, don't allow the darkness to rob you of what is yours through Jesus. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, the peace that he speaks of, it's yours. The joy that he speaks of, the rejoicing that he speaks of, it belongs to you. Why? Because you have Jesus. The purpose, it's yours because you have Christ. The hope of redemption, it's yours because Jesus is in your life. And so if you know Christ as your savior, don't let that darkness rob you of what you have in him. You can have joy even in trouble, peace even in heartache, and know there's a plan even in the midst of struggles. But maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, I don't know that I have all of those things because I don't know that I have Jesus Christ. I would ask you the question, do you know Jesus is your personal savior? Do you know Jesus is your personal savior? 
Has there been a time in your life when you know that you put your faith completely in his death, burial, and resurrection? Because the fact is that Jesus died for every single sinner. And that includes all of us. We're all sinners separated from God. And that is exactly why Jesus came. And Jesus wants to start a relationship with you by you opening your heart and allowing him to come into your life. And if you're here and you don't know Christ as your savior, I pray that today would be the day you put your faith and trust in him. If you do know Christ today, can I encourage you this week? Recognize that he brings rejoicing. He brings quietness of soul. He brings a purpose and a plan. He is the redeemer. Don't wait for dark seasons of life to call your attention to those things. Maybe today you'd say, man, pastor, I haven't been in dark seasons. I haven't been in discouragement. Hey, today the message is just as much for you because you have Christ. All of those things belong to you. Don't let the circumstances of this world, don't let the situations and stresses of life, don't even let the victories that we have, humanly speaking, push out the rejoicing, the peace, the purpose, and the redemption that we have in the person of Jesus Christ.